everybody. I'm Elizabeth Alfano with Plant Powered Consulting and the Plant-Based Business Hour. I'm here today with So Flow Vegans. Welcome to the season premiere of the SoFlow Vegans podcast. I'm your host and founder of SoFlow Vegans, Sean Russell. On this episode, we're excited to have Elizabeth Alfano as our guest. Elizabeth is an award-winning media personality, businesswoman, investor, and culinary artist. She's the founder of Plant Powered Communications, where she is connected to everyone in the who's who of the vegan world and produces and hosts a weekly series, The Plant Based Hour. We were excited to have her as a guest during our 2020 SoFlow Vegans Expo, and now she comes back as a returning champion to let us know what's happening in the vegan business landscape. Be sure to stick around until the end of the episode to learn some exciting developments in the SoFlow Vegans community, as well as ways you can get involved from anywhere in the world. And we're also going to be debuting a new feature after our interview that you should definitely check out. So enjoy today's episode of the SoFlow Vegans podcast with our guest, Elizabeth Alfano. You are listening to the SoFlow Vegans podcast. Elizabeth, welcome back to SoFlow Vegans. So glad to have you with us. Hey, everybody. I'm happy to be here. And I sure do love lives. So <laughs> I do live all the time. So this is my wheelhouse. So I'm going to have you start off. We have a tradition here on our recordings. We have our guests give us their vegan origin story. Like, how did you get started? What's your X-Men origin story? Yeah. Okay. I have to say my story, I think is sort of a pretty good one. Um, I'd been trying to go vegan my whole life, literally at the age of five, I can remember being at the dinner table and not being able to chew meat. And of course I couldn't have told you at five, oh, there are factory farming issues or something like this. But I, I just knew inherently that I did not want this stuff. And it wasn't just because it was harder to chew. It's just the fat and the gristle. It just seemed wrong. And that's all I could tell you. It was a strictly visceral reaction. It just seemed wrong and I didn't want to eat it. Well, my folks whom I love, they love me back. There's no problem. They're wonderful parents. They were like, oh God, our kid's going to die. She doesn't have protein. So they punished me pretty heavily. They said, you know, if you don't eat that meat, you cannot leave the dinner table. And everybody else got to hang out together, watch TV. And I'd be at the dinner table for hours, three hours, three and a half hours. I mean, I just, I couldn't do it. I wasn't faking it and I wasn't being capricious. I really couldn't do it. They were like, nope, you need your protein. So then I started hiding the meat all over the house. Like I'd hide it under the table legs. I'd put it in my pants pockets. I'd dig to the bottom of the garbage can and I'd hide it in the bottom of the garbage. And then I put all the other garbage back on top of it. And of course they, you know, I'm only seven now at this point or something. They, they found me lying and then they really punished me. So they sent me to my room. And so fast forward way into my adult years, I think in my head, this is what you have to do. This is the rule. Everybody eats meat. You have no choice. You have to do it. And this is what it means to be an adult. We do the things that we know are wrong. We do them anyway. We look the other way. We don't, you know, because by now, of course, I know about factory farming, but we just say, well, toughen up and that's what it means. And so I was living with this, like, God, that's awful. That, 
that feels rotten. So I was this kind of closet, you know, vegetarian. I mean, I would have pepperoni pizza with everybody else when it was ordered. I would never sort of say, hey, could you get just veggie for me? You know, I just, you know, I never ordered a steak or anything. I couldn't even tell you the last time I had chops, chops sticks. Is that what they're called? Or pork, pork chops, pork chops or lamb chops. Um, I, I, you know, it's been forever, but you know, when meat was around, I would do what everybody else was doing. And then my nephew came home from the university of Oregon and he's an athlete and he walked in the door Thanksgiving, first time back from school. And he said, Oh yeah, coach told me if I want to play for the team, no meat, no dairy. And I'm way into my forties at this point. And I'm like, you mean you got a professional to give you permission? I'd been waiting for permission my entire life. And I was vegan that sentence. I was like, I knew it. I knew it. It didn't feel right. And I was right all along. And I knew it. And I went through all the stages that everybody goes through. You know, at first I was like, this information has been kept from me. And I feel very mad about it. Um, but I got all the benefit and joy out of it like everybody else does. So I didn't stay mad for too long. So I lost a little bit of weight. Woohoo. Um, I have a lot of energy naturally. So I got some extra energy, which is always great. But here was the big payoff for me. I had been carrying around this heavy weight, and I did not know how heavy it was, of going through life, doing something that I knew was wrong and I didn't believe in. And it was not always in the front of my mind. Sometimes it was, but sometimes, like I say, I'd have pepperoni pizza with everybody and I was just like, okay, I'll just do it. But when I stopped eating meat, this thing I'd never wanted to do, and I didn't have to sort of forget about factory farms and pretend I hadn't seen them even though I had, and I didn't have to live as an adult with this disconnect, I lifted a huge weight and I hadn't realized how heavy that weight was and how much it was holding me back. So uh, the benefits for me of going vegan are multidimensional. So I always love hearing the different origin stories from our guests because I know our audience, they'll hear it and there may be something in your story that resonates with them. And it also may reflect somebody that's in their life and you may have given them some insight on how to support them. So thank you so much for sharing that. And with that being said, let's talk a little bit about your background, which is very impressive, especially when it comes to being a, uh, a communicator and, mm. and broadcasting a message for this community. So tell us a little bit about your background and where and what you're currently doing. So it's funny. Everybody thinks of me as a journalist, really. I think that's, of course, you know, how they see me the most. I have two different shows. One is called the Plant-Based Business Hour, and that's really where I spend the majority of my time. I do it live. It's on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, uh, LinkedIn. And then um, it always goes to Vegconomist magazine, and it goes to my podcasts, and sometimes it goes to the Beat magazine. So I'm primarily on Plant-Based Business Hour, but I also have an interview show called the Awesome Vegans Influencer Series, which is doubling as a radio show as well. So it's very exciting that I can be out there so much in journalism, but that is a complete complete side hustle. That is actually not my area of expertise, if you will. My area is business. It's what I went to school for. It's where I got my master's degree and MBA and 
My first uh, job was working in consumer packaged goods for the Kellogg's company. I was on Frosted Mini Wheats and Special K. I've got some very fun Special K stories for you if you want. Um, and then I, when I left uh, big Fortune 500 companies, I decided to start my own business. And I had that business for 10 years before I exited. And then I went into investing. And when you're doing some personal investing, you have a whole heck of a lot more time than you did as an entrepreneur working on your own business because you know all entrepreneurs will tell you it is 24 7 all the time but when i started investing i was like oh i have a little bit of time so i picked up journalism as a hobby it's it's not what i studied it's really not where my area of expertise is but i thought you know oh there's some really interesting people in the world that i would like to speak with and I will never be able to step in their shoes, but if they'll give me an interview for an hour, I could learn so much. So it was just sort of a selfish hobby, if you will. Um, and I thought, well, they're never going to talk to me unless I say, hey, I can promote this interview and and help you as well. So I just kind of did, did it as this side gig. And then when I went plant-based, vegan, I was like, okay, now the only thing I report on is vegan issues because that's what's the most meaningful and that's what I'm going to do in my life. It took me so long to get here that that's all I'm going to do from here on out. So that's how I landed in the vegan journalism world. But um, my background is really business and that's why I started my consulting company, Plant Powered Consulting. And so even though you don't see it because it's behind the scenes, 80% of where I spend all my time, 85% is with my clients, my brands, and those are the plant-based brands that I'm really, you know, bringing to the forefront in the marketplace. So everyone thinks of me for journalism, but really it's the plant-powered consulting. And, and it's interesting. Um, one of the takeaways I um, I heard is that you started off working with like companies with Kellogg's and, and that particular industry, and now you're focusing mainly on plant-based brands. So what has been your experience between working with both, you know, ends of the spectrum, a company that caters towards, you know, you know, the total consumer base versus one that's, well, that's, that's, that's not true. As I'm hearing myself say it, even plant-based brands, they're not just making it for plant-based consumers. They're making it for the masses. But what are the differences that you've noticed between those two different types of companies? Well, I mean, hard to say because I was working for Kellogg really in the beginning of my career. So it was a while ago now. And the world has changed so much and business has changed. And, you know, nobody was really thinking about vegans or vegetarians there. I mean, it just so happens that um, Special K is vegan. Um, but that really wasn't the focus. And, and it was even hard to get Kellogg at the time. This is back in the day, too, you know, so kind of surprising, though. It's hard to get them to focus on lactose intolerant folks. They just really weren't wrapping their minds around that. And of course, cereal goes with milk. So it's something you'd think they'd want to be um, conscious of. But it was a little bit hard to get that on the radar back in the day. But um, really what's changed, I think, is the pace of innovation and, you know, when you work with mission aligned brands, it's just everything is pedal to the metal. And when I interviewed Seth Tibbet, the founder of Tofurky on my show, Plant-Based Business Hour, we talk about this, the secret weapon of vegans is that they're so mission aligned that their heart is in it so hard. There just is no failing. Just there's, there's no um, turning back. So I think that's something that's very different than when you're with a Fortune 500 company and there's all these layers and there's so many management levels and this kind of thing. So that's very different. And I like working with entrepreneurs. I prefer to be with the people who are, you know, nose to the grindstone, eyes to the sky every day. Now, I know you could appreciate this. Back in 2019, the headline was, it's the year of the vegan. Right. Yeah. And of course, 2020, 
was the year that it was. So how do you think that has held up from 2019 until today, as far as like trending and the continued growth of everything? I mean, if 2019 was the year of the vegan, then 2021 is the year of the flexitarian. I mean, it's just, um, it's trending it's trending like smack. I mean, it's just, it's going crazy off the wall. And we always said that there would be this kind of exponential growth that you'd see the, the if you can see with my microphone, you'd see the curve go like this. And I think you're going to start to see that hockey stick like uh, curve happen in terms of growth because there's so... COVID was this enormous accelerant. I think we all know that. People started to focus on how can I get healthy and perhaps I shouldn't be letting the government decide for me. Perhaps I should be doing my own research and really advocating for myself. So people had more time and then they had this fuel under their their seat of their pants, which was COVID and staying healthy. So a lot of people are getting much more information and that information is out there because of people like you and then also me and then also just Google is so great for that. So <clears throat> COVID was an accelerant. And then also you see um, non-vegan companies, meat and dairy companies, starting to come to the market with their own products. And this kind of addition to the marketplace where they're, I can't say that they're lessening their meat and dairy products, but they are at least adding some vegan products. And so having these kind of advertising budgets and these kind of distribution channels available to vegan brands, even if it's not a vegan company, but it's a vegan brand, these are enormous accelerants. And I think you're just going to continue to see this kind of exponential growth with the flexitarian in mind. And so that's interesting because I know deep within the vegan community, there's always a conversation between um, reduction, um, you know, reducing <laughs> reductionarianism. I'm, I'm messing. I'm reducitarian. There you go. There you go. Um, flexitarianism, and as far as like the the message and the actual movement behind the vegan community. Now, when it comes to the business space, you have a lot of these um, businesses that may not be particularly mission driven, um, and them and creating those products or developing those product lines. Do you see a uh, an opportunity for the expansion of plant-based versus vegan in terms of the conversation of flexitarian in order to see that growth and how could that potentially play a role into the vegan movement? So this is such a huge conversation. Ultimately, how are we going to communicate with the consumer? And this has been changing over time. Vegan didn't have the right connotations. Then we moved to plant-based, but what is plant-based? Something can be shouldn't be, but they can say that it's plant-based, even if it has some other elements in there that aren't from plants, but the majority is plants. So it's plant-based. Uh, so, you know, this is very tricky. I think both of those terms are going to go away. I think it's going to become so ubiquitous that one isn't going to have to take a stand for one's health or for one's ethics. It's going to be that there is only one way to make food and it is the most efficient way. Efficiency always wins out in business and meat and dairy are so wildly inefficient. They need time, they need land, they need water. They take away trees, which, oh, hey, we need those trees because trees pull carbon out of the air and we've got a climate crisis going on. So it would be great if we could leave those trees where, where they are, but we cut down those trees so that we can grow grain 
grains. Do we give those grains to people? No, we give them to animals. And then we give those animals land and water and time, land and water and time. Do we have food yet? No, we have to give them more land, water, time and grains. We have to cut down more more trees. Inefficient, wildly inefficient. And then even at that, it doesn't work on its own. So if you happen to be someone of the business mind and you believe in a free economy to the extent that that's possible, then you would be against subsidies. And these businesses don't run without subsidies. They're not self-sustaining in that way. And there aren't the resources on the planet to sustain that kind of inefficiency. So while there are folks that have vested stakes in making these businesses stay around because they benefit from subsidies, nobody else does. The consumer doesn't, the planet doesn't. We, we just just can't waste that kind of, uh, those kind of resources. So I think the conversation, now I'm talking sort of at least a decade away to get this kind of conversation in place, but it's going to be so ubiquitous with so many products out there that don't have animals in them. We won't need to distinguish anymore. It'll just be the way we eat. So I think those conversations are going to take longer in the short term. You're still going to have, you know, plant-based and vegan and flexitarian, but the best kind of messaging is when you don't have to say it's free from, or it's without this, or, you know, it's better when you can say, Hey, you get this and you get that. And it's, it's really wonderful. It's not what you're um, not getting. It's all the things you are getting. And I think we're not even going to have to say it's, it's plant-based or anything like that. I think we're just going to be able to say tastes great, really juicy. And here it is for the same price. That will be the trick. Got to get that in line. So I'm going to take a quick detour from um, the business conversation. And I want to dip a little bit into your background as a chef. So when we had you on our expo, you were kind enough to do a food demonstration for us. So take us a little bit into how you got started with cooking and some of the things you've done with that. Yes. Okay. So if journalism is hobby number one, then um, cooking is hobby number two. I mean, I'm I don't, I'm not schooled as a chef, but I'm Sicilian and I grew up cooking and cooking was a huge part of my childhood. I love to cook. I love to be innovative in the kitchen. I can't stand to follow recipes. I want to make my own stuff. Either I go into the refrigerator and I see what's going to go bad and then I just challenge myself to like make something with that food or I just invite people over to my house pre-COVID and uh, I say like, okay, I know this person likes this and that person likes this and I'm going to make stuff. So I love that challenge of being in the cooking, in the kitchen. And um, it's very relaxing for me. So a workout is relaxing and shopping vegetables, very relaxing. So I think it's just my passion and enthusiasm that gets me on to things like WGN TV. They have me back probably every two months to do cooking on television. You know, I've cooked at a bunch of veg fests. I, my graduate school, where I did my MBA, they invited me to speak, which was wonderful. And then they said, oh, we saw on YouTube that you cook. Could you cook and speak on business at the same time? I mean, people just love, you know, of course, we're all Zoomed out, right? There's too many Zoom meetings. So people just love to do something interactive. And it's funny because right before I hopped on this call, my graduate school asked me back again to do the same thing because it had been so um, popular. So I'll be back talking about business and cooking for um, the Thunderbird Global School of Management. And, and um, you know, cooking, I love to cook too, not quite to the level where I'm going to give people my food, but um, it's, it is one of the things that I picked up from going vegan and uh, enjoy doing. So would you have any advice for anyone that's, you know, getting it, maybe they just went vegan or they like to cook, but they don't take themselves too seriously. In the, I mean, 
you know, they don't look at it as potentially being something that can go a little bit further. What are some things that work for you to, to kind of increase that love and that passion? Well, first I'll say, go to elizabethalfano.com slash recipes. <laughs> so there are a lot of really easy recipes. Um, they're, they're all my own and they're things that I've done while I've been goofing around in the kitchen. And I would say just that. Don't let the kitchen be daunting for you. It Cooking is all about you. So there is no one way to do things. There is no right way. There is no wrong way. If you don't like salt, don't use it. If you don't like it spicy, don't do it. You know, it's really about your creative expression in the food. So I would say that. Have fun with it. Then I'd also say, you know, don't overthink it, but if possible, plan ahead. You know, you can't paint something if you don't have a selection of colors. You can't really cook if you haven't done a little bit of the shopping. Now, shopping's gotten a lot easier as we all go direct to consumer and Instacart and this kind of thing. So another benefit, if one could say this from COVID, so you can get your hands, you know, on a lot of plant-based things easier, but even then, even more than the plant-based products, which I'm so proud to be working with so many plant-based brands through my company, Plant Powered Consulting, um, even more than the brands, get your hands on spices. So my really fast down and dirty tip would be get your hands on paprika, soy sauce, and cumin. Right there, you're going to have the base for the majority of the meat flavors. You can you know, continue to spice it from there, but those three things are already going to get you set. And what are some of your go-to tools that you use in the kitchen? Go-to tools, go-to tools. Got to have the right knife. I mean, the fastest way to go insane is try, try slicing a tomato with the wrong knife. You can just kill yourself first. I mean, um, so nothing really, I mean, yes, I have a cuisine art, but... I went on Amazon.com, got a refurbished one. It was like 57 bucks, you know? So you don't have to go like, wow, Cuisine Art, $400. You don't have to do that. I just got a refurbished one. I've had it now for seven years. It works just fine. I use it all the time. Um, everybody likes a, a slow pot, a hot pot. A, I've never done it, but um, just because I'm so used to old school, you know, I'm just so used to like a pot and boiling water for my beans or whatever. So I just do it that way. But I know that's handy for a lot of people. Um I think one thing that my boyfriend turned me on to, which I think is great, it's called the mandolin and it, it allows you to slice things really fine. And so you can make a salad with something like watermelon radish or something like that and really make it pretty by having these slender slices. But I almost hate to mention that because it's not a common term, the mandolin. And so I don't want to frighten people by thinking that, oh, you need all these exotic things. You don't, you need a good knife. All right. So let's take a little, let's go right back into the business talk, because I know there are a lot of business owners, small business owners that could use some support right now in terms of just figuring out how to navigate this new world that we're in. So what has been the temperature? Um, let's start off with this. Like what has been the temperature of, of the small businesses that maybe you've heard about, um, you know, in the nation right now in terms of everything? that's been going on? Uh, mania. That's the temperature. The temperature is mania. Um, so I just spoke with um, a, a grocer's associate. You know, every state has like oh, the Oregon Grocer's Association, the Arkansas Grocer's Association, these kind of um, 
association groups. And I was speaking with one of them yesterday and they were saying they have so many plant-based brands reaching out to them that they're a little bit like a deer in the headlights. They're not sure how to make a decision on what kind of products to bring into the grocery store. So, um, and people are starting to anticipate that, that COVID will end and that things might resume some sort of level of what it used to be. I don't think it'll ever go back to being what it was, but um, so they're starting to think about bringing in new products, taking a little bit, not a risk, but just kind of getting out of their status quo. For the longest time, grocery stores were just restocking what they knew sold and they didn't want to think out of the box at all. Well, that's kind of changing. And they know that plant-based is the hottest trend possible, but they're having trouble making decisions because there's so many brands coming to the market. So I will say that the temperature is mania, but for as much competition as there is happening, there are still so many white spaces. So if you have an idea that you think nobody else does well, uh, definitely go pedal to the metal and along with the mania is investing mania. So you're seeing a lot more money roll into the space. Um, that's something that I help a lot of my brands with is putting together that investor deck, the marketing part, but also the financial part so that they can present to investors and start to raise money. And that, in, that money is there. So there, that's part of the mania is that people want to invest. So right now I know of a lot of, uh, plant-based businesses, um, brands like, you know, selling like um, vegan chicken online and what have you. Is there, does it make sense right now to try to get placed into supermarkets? Cause I know there's a lot that goes into that and in sort of filling those orders versus just trying to expand their online footprint. Like what, you know, what direction probably would you, I don't want to say advise because, but what are, what are your thoughts behind, you know, just maybe sticking to online sales or trying to get into those larger stores? Mm -hmm. Okay. So it depends on the product itself, but let's just say it is a typical CPG product. Um, I would say getting into these stores requires a little bit of money because there is some, some placement fees and usually you need a distributor that's going to distribute from you to all of these stores and they help you pick up, let's say, a, like 300 sprouts across the nation or something like this. Um, and in addition, then you have to be able to supply that grocery store. So it's one thing if you have a natural grocery store in your five mile radius and you can drop off to that one store. It's another thing to supply Jewel Osco if you guys have that in your neck of the woods, you know, Jewel Osco across the country, Kroger's across the country, Ralph's across the country. So Whole Foods across the country. So you really have to be ready. It's a commitment of money and it's a commitment of um, production. So you have to be ready to scale up like that. If you're not ready, I, I think a, a, a couple things. Direct to consumers is great, particularly if you don't have a frozen product. If you have a frozen product, it gets very expensive. You have to ship overnight and dry ice. And then there's the environmental question, which doesn't always sit well with everybody. So, um, you know, if you don't have to... Uh, ship a frozen product, then direct to consumer is really great. Your margins are better and you can really build that online engagement. So you want to have that very bespoke conversation with your cons consumer base. You have to really know them. So one of the mistakes I think, I'm kind of going a little bit all over the map here. So it's like business 101 in, you know, 10 minutes. But um, one of the mistakes that I see brands make is they think, well, I'm plant-based. 
So I naturally have a market. It's not true. Being plant-based is absolutely no longer enough. You have to know who you are going for in that plant-based realm. Is it flexitarians? Is it vegans? Is it millennials? Is it Gen Z? Is it older people who are concerned about their health? You know, Gen Z being more concerned about the environment, animals, and kind of the way to move through the world. You know, who are you going for? You really have to know that. And if you can hone in on that and make that experience with them through packaging and through marketing and through socials, um, make that experience very much like, oh, my brand's my buddy. Like my, this, you know, I, I'm like solidarity with this brand. If you can start developing that kind of relationship, you're going to see great things for your D to C direct to consumer. And you can build from there because you'll have more money. You'll start making, you know, bigger production lines. You know, you, then you start growing your business so you can scale for these grocery stores. Don't get me wrong. Grocery stores are still there. And again, if you are in a large enough city or maybe even a smaller city, but you've got um, natural grocery stores in your neck of the woods, definitely walk on over there with your product and see if you can start supplying them because that feedback is invaluable. So there's nothing like interfacing with your consumer. And if you can do that online, great, but you should also be getting that feedback from the grocery store to hear what people say about your product. So you want to know what they're saying, be totally in tune, tweak that product every little bit you can right for them. And so every place you can get feedback from the consumer is great. So so what if you have someone that has an idea for a product, they have created it and they're, you know, just maybe doing it at farmer's markets and what have you, but they are interested in doing that. Um, what could be that next step for them to get the knowledge that you just mentioned or, you know, to really get that handholding experience? Are there courses out there that's specific that are specific to the plant-based? Are there resources online? Like what, what would you recommend for them for that next step? Contact me. <laughs> um, contact me. In fact, Sean and I were thinking about doing a class just based on this. I think, um, you know, we can't answer it all today in this one interview. And there are so many of these how to launch your brand in the current environment uh, type of questions. And I think, you know, circle back with Sean and I, because I think we're thinking about doing this kind of course. And until that course exists, you know, people can can reach out to me through my consulting business. Um, otherwise, if you're not ready for a consultant, or if you don't think you're, you know, at that point yet, or if you're just still thinking about your product, maybe you don't even have a product yet, uh, do that research online. I mean, Instagram's great for that, right? Start seeing what other people are doing and who's successful. That's just a very good way to kind of teach yourself for lack of a better expression. Otherwise, circle back with me and uh, sh stay tuned for maybe a class that Sean and I will do. And um, yeah, I'm excited to, to figure that out because there are so many businesses right now that are itching. They're looking to expand. Oh and oh you know, one of the surprising things last year, just in South Florida, because that's where I'm mainly focused, my, my energies, is the amount of businesses that have opened up during the pandemic, during um, 2020. And, you know, I mean, I, you know, on the surface level, it looks like they're doing well and they're growing and expanding. And, you know, there's always two sides of that story. So, you know, I'm interested to see what 2021 has to offer. And along with that, it comes, and we're going to go a little bit into the communication side. I love the fact that you have all these different <laughs> aspects to what you do. Um we when we had you, when I had you on the expo, the conversation was communication, how to kind of get the most out of it. 
And a lot of people have jumped on and started creating podcasts, creating live streams, and using that as another way to get their name out there and, and show people what they can do. For you, what, what have you found to be some of the best practices that have helped you create content on a consistent basis? Well, I'm back to two things. One, what Seth Tibbet said. I mean, I just, I just love it. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, remember, I was waiting decades to be vegan. I was held back from being vegan, so I can't waste any more time. I am completely dedicated and so passionate. So, like Seth Tibbet said, you know, it's the superpower, secret weapon of vegans. And then I'll say what you just said. I'm consistent. I am consistent. I am out there consistently all the time. And I think that dedication to consistent communication gives you your flow. You know, you find that flow by doing it. And I've always learned in life by doing. I mean, I've gone to school too. And I, of course, I read books and I study and I, I talk to people, but I, I learn by doing. And so just do it. You know, I mean, it couldn't be any easier, right? We all have the technology now at this point. Um, so, you know, hit me up again if you'd like some some tips perhaps on public speaking that's a another class that I was going to give with maybe another organization but maybe Sean and I'll do it too I, mean, I think there's lots of tips and tricks for public speaking but the big one is just being consistent and I, I know it could get frustrating too when you're starting off and a lot of people who are doing it aren't just only doing that they're you know, they may be a lawyer, they may have another profession and they're just using it as a, a, a vehicle to get their work, get the name out and, and such and such and so forth. So in terms of getting started, you know, can, I agree with you. Consistency is huge. And then there's the technical aspect of it. Um, what's a good way? Like, let's say someone doesn't, let me speak to a very specific audience. You, you mentioned this earlier. We're looking at someone who has never created a video, a podcast, a live stream in their life, but they use Instagram, they use Facebook, yeah. they're, you know, they have some experience online. What would you say would be a good investment in terms of technology? You know, where should they start? Oh, okay. Uh, you should 100% start with lighting. I know that sounds like, well, isn't that like step number seven? Eeks, lighting is really super important. So I would say lighting first. The rest you probably already have. You probably already have a decent phone. You probably already have a computer, you know, that webcam for uh, Zoom or StreamYard or what have you. So, and I have a very simple mic. This guy, I have a very simple mic. Uh, you know, my, my mic's like $50 or something. Uh, and then lighting. Lighting is really what makes the difference. And lighting is going to make you feel good about yourself on camera. I think that's really the hard thing for people. It's not figuring out the technology because it's all there and the majority of people are using it anyway. Uh, it's that people have trouble seeing themselves on camera. And uh, lighting's going to help you with that. It's, it's it's exciting kind of where everything's going, the shift that we've had to go on in order to continue to grow. And lighting, audio, um, most video, like you don't have to expend a lot of money on the video because like you said, the lighting will make up for that. But also you can just tell by looking at it, you know, I, I work with a lot of children 
um, mm. for several years, teaching them how to create video projects and what have you. And for me, it was less about having the perfect equipment because I want people just to enjoy creating and telling stories and not being worried about not having the latest camera or the latest um, device. And yeah. so there's a lot of different things you can do. And what I tell them is just use the eye test. You know, does it look like something that you would see on television? If not, study that. You yeah. know, I know when I was younger, I did a lot of tracing. And the concept is very similar. You can look at things side by side and say, okay, what's different? Uh-huh. You know, without having to go deep into the technology. And that's worked a lot in, in what I've seen. And I pick, I'm saying the children because they have that fresh mind. And that's, I guess that's another thing too, that fresh mind of like, you know, forget what you know, just open yourself to what's yes. possible. Yes, I love that. And, and I know you've had a lot of conversations with different business owners and experts in the field. Do you have any stories, you know, anything that comes to mind that, that stands out that you would love to share with us? Oh, gosh. Or maybe some of your experiences, anything that is like, whoa. I've had so many interviews on the Plant-Based Business Hour. So again, on my website, it's pretty clear. You can click consulting or you can click the Plant-Based Business Hour. Um, you can also click a corporate uh, restaurant button, but you'll see the plant-based business hour. And if you go to the plant-based business hour, you'll see this long list of all the people along with the video and the audio interviews and their pictures. You'll see this long list of people that I've interviewed. So it is very hard to pick out any one. Um, I will tell you about a couple recent ones, and then I'll tell you about one of the very first ones. So I was speaking with the CEO, DDA Tubia, of Aleph Farms. Aleph Farms does clean meat, cultivated meat, cultured meat. Um, they are looking at, with um, animal cells, cow cells, building a steak, if you will, and being able to grow steak through a lab, we'll call it, but that sounds so antiseptic. It's not. It's just giving the the cells all of their natural ingredients that they need, and then it, it grows through scaffolding from there. So we're talking about this, and he's telling me, so talk about like, oh my God, I just, I'm part of the future. It's so gosh darn exciting. He's telling me there's all this concern about food from COVID. And as we know, it's very frustrating. Just I'll, I'll say this to people because it's so important to me. So what we know from pandemics is that they disrupt food supply and job markets. So if we ever want a stable global economy, we're going to have to rid the um, planet of pandemics. And to do that, we're going to have to get rid of factory farming because factory farming breeds all of this um, pandemic possibility. So you will never have stable global economies while you have factory farming. Just keep that in mind, folks. So he's talking about pandemics and how it's been very disruptive for the Middle East. There's this huge concern uh, about food security. And when the pandemic hit, they had disruption in their food supply, as we just discussed. And this was a growing concern for them. He said, so they're working with the Middle East on this research to, you know, be independent food suppliers. So we're not dependent on the Earth's resources. We talked about it in the beginning, land, water, time. 
if we have another pandemic or or if climate change just allows us less arable land on the planet, that's coming as well. So I said, now, hold on. We're talking about Israel here and their neighboring Middle Eastern countries. And I asked him, are you telling me that cultivated meat and having a stable food supply is the answer to peace in the Middle East? And he said, absolutely. Mm. So if you can imagine I'm talking to somebody about Middle East peace because of how we're changing the food supply system. I'm still like getting chills about this. So um, I, I just, some of these interviews can be so groundbreaking. I just um, had an interview with Paul Shapiro from the Better Meat Company. Um, very much his heart is an animal activist and he's working with meat companies to get them to change over to plant-based ingredients and get out the meat and put in the plant-based ingredients. And, uh, you know, it's very exciting to talk to someone like him. We were talking about how, you know, um, Kodak decided not to embrace new technology. They didn't go digital. They also went out of business. Canon embraced digital, didn't fight it. They're doing very well. Uh, so I like to say, as we say, you know, we've, we've graduated from the typewriter to the computer, from the landline to the cell phone. And so will we leave animal agriculture and we'll go to cell-based and plant-based meat. Mm. And oh, wait, one more story. And then <laughs> at the very beginning, uh, so when I was just starting the, this, um, Ethan Brown, CEO, founder of Beyond Meat, he came to my kitchen because this was pre-COVID. So we were doing interviews in person and he launched the Beyond Meat sausage in my kitchen. So, wow. you know, after that, they had a press party and then they, the next day they went to sale, but he came to my stove. He's like six, four. He came to my stove and he cooked beyond meat sausage right in my kitchen. We ate it on the show and we launched it on my show. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. That's and, and how do you, and this is a question for people who have been creating, you know, it's really impressive all the things that you've been able to do and that you're currently doing and which started off as a hobby, but you do have that background in business. So, you know, I'll, it's, that's, strong that's important to have you know be able to have that niche to be able to talk and to speak to people but how did you make those connections or was it just a consistency and people discovering you like what was that process for you to get on television and do all these amazing things hmm you know there's there's no one way to Rome I guess I'll say um uh, you know, part of what I do for my clients is get them press. And so I was just able to do that for myself as well. Um, uh, knocking on doors, you know, just pitching ideas to different television stations and different radio stations. I do an enormous amount of radio. Um, and just, I don't know, I, I just knocking on doors, really. I don't think there's any there's no secret code, except you just have to have a very interesting pitch. You know, your headline is everything. Uh, the headline of the press release, you just have to have a very interesting pitch and story. And I've been able to do that. And then once you get into their fold, they continue to ask you back because it's easy for them. Okay, that's pretty cool. And we're going to wind down on this note. And I always like to give our guests an opportunity to say what's on their heart. And it may not even be anything we've talked about. But this is a, an opportunity to speak directly to the South Florida community because that's usually largely who we we um, create our content for. Is there any advice or anything that's on your mind that you would like to share? You must advocate for yourselves. 
Don't farm that out to your doctors. Don't let governments decide for you. You must advocate for yourself. And in doing so, that means you do your research. That means you vote with your dollars. Don't give money to companies that you don't believe in. And you use your voice. It is this enormous gift that you have. Uh, so that might be getting on Zoom or doing things like I do. That might be talking to your neighbors. That might mean, you know, um, getting on social media and saying what you think and believe. But use your voice, use your dollars, and you must advocate for yourselves. And I do believe that when you advocate for yourself, you will choose to advocate for the planet and animals because it's beneficial for you. But you must take control and not, not be part of the machine, but live your best life. So that's a little bit cliche, live your best life, but don't, don't be part of the machine. Think and act for yourselves with information and use those dollars wisely along with your voice. And you will see when you do align your purchasing power with your values and you couple that with your voice, you will see change. The change you want to see in the world, you will see it. We are going to end on this. Thank you so much for coming on to our show, for speaking with us, for sharing your insight. Um, I really, you know, it's inspirational looking at all of the work that you're doing. And the big part of it, my big takeaway from everything that you're doing is the consistency, mm. you know, continuing to see you having these amazing guests and, and, and just growing and, and creating that, um, example for other people out there who may want to showcase other businesses. So thank you for that. My pleasure. And thank you for having me. And thank you for all the work that you do, Sean, really. It takes a village, you know, so thank you as well. And where can people find more about you? Oh my gosh. Uh, hit me up. Elizabeth at ElizabethAlfano.com is my email. Or if you just want to check out my website, it's Elizabeth at ElizabethAlfano.com. And of course I'm on Instagram and LinkedIn. LinkedIn's kind of my jam. That's where I spend my most of my time, but I'm on um, Instagram as well. I'm revamping my Instagram right now, but uh, you know, if you really want to get the full picture, it's ElizabethAlfano.com and just reach out to me anytime. In a new feature, we're answering questions from our listeners about veganism and using answers from past clips featuring our amazing guests. Today's question is what you've probably heard from multiple people. Where do you get your protein as a vegan? So we're going to have Jeff Palmer from Clean Machine, a great friend to SoFlo Vegans, answering this question we feel he's he's really qualified um from his background as a professional bodybuilder and now owner of a sports nutrition supplement company called clean machine so you can check that episode out in our show notes on soflovegans.com slash podcast so now for your answer all essential amino acids the amino acids we use to build all proteins Every animal, whether they're vegetarian or not, all comes from plants. Only plants can make essential amino acids. Animals cannot make them. That's why we call them essential, because we have to get them from food. We have to get them from outside the body. We cannot produce them. Plants are the only ones that produce them. They produce it from taking sunlight, combining it with glucose, and form it into amino acids, in this case, essential amino acids. So what we're doing is taking plant essential amino acids 
feeding them to an animal, killing the animal, and taking its plant nutrients. Now, why are we doing that? That's insane. That's like uh, you earning money from her, and I kill you to take your money instead of earning it from her just like you do. Is that a good idea? No, it's not fair. It's, it's insanely wasteful. Why do you take those plant nutrients? And it's not only the essential amino acids, it's the essential fatty acids, it's the vitamins and minerals. All come from plants. Everything we need comes from plants, including B12. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to our guest, Elizabeth Alfano, for joining us. If you'd like to join our movement or be a guest on a future episode, send us an email at contact at soflowvegans.com. And if you're hearing this right now, we would love to hear from you any sort of way, even if you want to just tell us about what you think about the podcast, maybe some ideas that you may have, we would love to hear it. There's a lot going on with SoFlo Vegans from the launch of our brand new app, a job board, and fresh new video content released throughout the week. And the best way to see this for yourself is to head up our main page at SoFloVegans.com. Consider becoming a member and helping us spread the word about SoFlo Vegans so we can continue our mission of making South Florida a global hotspot for veganism. So we're excited to be kicking off this new season. So keep checking back for brand new episodes and we'll see you next time.